You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. On this week's episode of the pod, we are going to talk about a topic that does not get talked about enough, body dysmorphic disorder. And we've brought on a special guest, an expert on this topic to discuss it in detail. If you haven't already tuned into last week's episode, our first of 2023, what are you waiting for? Definitely go back and check that out. We talk about fad pet diets and we talk about all the most common fads, including grain-free diets, raw food diets, vegan and vegetarian diets, feeding our dogs and cats human foods and treats and more. Definitely check that out if you haven't already. So this week, we brought on a special guest who's actually a follower of the pod page and reached out to us to suggest a topic that's near and dear to her heart um, and also incredibly important. Robin Stern, thank you for joining us today. Robin is a licensed clinical social worker in the U.S. specializing in treating body dysmorphic disorder. She was formally diagnosed with BDD when she was 22 years old after several years of not knowing what was wrong with her, misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety, yet struggling to maintain day-to-day tasks and functioning. Now, this is a quote from Robin. Life as I knew it failed to exist, as my thoughts about my appearance consumed me and took away all the joy in my life, family, friends, and school. The thoughts of my appearance being faulty led me to feel defective, different, and just not sure how to navigate the world on a day-to-day basis. Through evidence-based work utilizing CB ERP, and ACT, as well as more intensive psychotherapy with a licensed therapist, I have learned that BDD and my physical appearance does not need to define me and how I choose to live each day. The work, while challenging, has given me a place in recovery, which has allowed me to give to other people. I am extremely enthusiastic about understanding the complexities of this disorder because it took so much of my life from me, but most importantly, I want to help others so that life can be easier to navigate with this and they can enjoy life with minimal interference from BDD. Robin, thank you so much for speaking so candidly and openly and and you know shedding light on this really important disorder. <laughs> thank you so much for having me today. So Andrea, do you want to set the stage a little bit about why we thought that this would be a great topic early in the new year? Yeah, so absolutely. Start of the new year, people are all getting on board with their New Year's resolutions, you know, new year, new me, going to the gym, trying to lose weight. And of course, that is very helpful for some people. Of course, it can also increase anxiety for other individuals, you know, but there's a lot of nuance with regard to true body dysmorphic disorder, other sorts of body dysmorphias, obviously other sorts of body image issues, and of course, disordered eating. So, you know, a lot of folks are kind of discussing these sorts of things, not knowing what's what, not fully understanding the scope of some of these issues that affect 
affect, you know, populations all across the world. And so we thought it was a really timely way to kind of dig into some of the data. You know, if we if we look at, you know, individuals who are making resolutions in the new year, losing weight is one of the most common ones with 23% of the population saying that that's one of their new year's resolutions. But it's also the one that is most often um, broken. So about 33%, you know, are, aren't able to stick with it. And so, you know, certainly there are a lot of components involved in body image, dysmorphia, body dysmorphic disorder. And so, you know, what better time than now to discuss it? So to quickly set the stage, it is estimated that body dysmorphic disorder affects about 5 million or at least 5 million people in the United States alone. It's probably an underestimation. And we'll get into some of that in in just a moment. Um, But global surveys and global studies also um, suggest that the reported prevalence of body dysmorphic disorder is about 3%. It's really important to differentiate the fact that this is a mental health issue and, and really the cause or why some individuals are affected by body dysmorphic disorder, whereas others are not, is really yet to be determined. So Robin, do you maybe, can you jump in and sort of set the stage here? I mean, how, maybe, can you explain a little bit about how you came to be diagnosed with BDD? Absolutely. So for me growing up, I was happy. I was a happy child. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize that I was struggling with body dysmorphic disorder because I never really shared with anybody what my concerns with my appearance are. Because I think when we think of appearance, we think vanity, we think, okay, this isn't something that's really a mental health issue. So I was essentially like left with this notion of okay, this is probably issue of depression. This is more of an issue of like, I am disgusting. I am gross because these were like the thought process that I had. And then what ended up happening to me was my mother had gone to a therapist who had suggested me going to a place in Great Neck and they were the ones that diagnosed me with body dysmorphic disorder. And the reason that I met the criteria was because people with body dysmorphic disorder have, it's about a perception in distortion So a person with body dysmorphic disorder does not have anything objectively wrong with their appearance. That's not to say that anybody's perfect, right? Because there's no level of perfection. But to the outside world, we don't see what the person is so distraught over. And for me, it was my skin. And objectively, nobody could really see what it is that I was concerned with. But when we look at body dysmorphic disorder, we look at a disruption in functioning. And for me, it was disrupting my functioning. I was ruminating, which is very similar to OCD thought process. I was doing compulsive behaviors. There's the similarity. And I also had very faulty core beliefs about myself. So the notion that I didn't like what I looked like led to me feeling defective, unlovable, and unworthy. And these were things that were very prevalent. And so I was able to get the proper diagnosis. I know it was mentioned that we're not sure exactly where it comes from, but I do think that we do know that there is biological components. So similar to any mental health issue, there's genetic predisposition for things. What we also see is through functional MRI studies based out of UCLA is that people with body dysmorphic disorder and eating disorders, their brain and neuropathways 
show up differently on functional MRI studies. And so their spatial processing is different, which is ultimately what we struggle with when we're seeing our reflection, whether in a, in a reflective surface or a mirror. So we do know that. And we also know, which is different from OCD, and this is more a newer thing that we've realized, is that 80% of people with body dysmorphic disorder have experienced some level of trauma and kind of disruption in their childhood. So those are kind of the common themes of what we're seeing as what is kind of making somebody, let's say, develop body dysmorphic disorder. We shall see in the next 15 to 20 years how the media-obsessed appearance world has impacted that. This stuff is more related to people because we're looking backwards as is, you know, 15, 20 years ago into how people developed BDD. We're not necessarily taking into consideration the media presence that we have right now. But that's kind of my kind of way of getting the diagnosis and my understanding and more recently the understanding of how the functional MRI studies and the focus on looking at the brain and how that was made up and how that just even of itself, I know that has helped me to understand that this is more than just what I think I see. This is like a biological issue. And this is how my brain just doesn't look like and operate like somebody who doesn't have it. Robin, you you, you make a great point there, right? And, and you know, and, and that's and that's true with other mental health issues as well, right? There are biological, there are genetic components. We're, we're getting a better understanding of the fact that, you know, the brain structure and function is, is not you know, uniform across populations and some of those things can can lead to some of these mental health issues. And, you know, I, I like the way you kind of set the stage for that. And, you know, as I was pulling some and and I think we'll talk a little bit about the limitations. There's a little bit of a dearth of research behind body dysmorphic disorder, you know, partly because it, there is a bit of a lag, right? You know, some of these things are kind of started in childhood, but don't fully manifest until someone is a little bit older. But some of the criteria, some of the questionnaires that were conducted in some of these cross-sectional studies, you know, there's there's multiple tiers, right? So first is, are you very concerned about some part of your appearance? And, you know, does that preoccupy you? But then from there, whether or not you say yes or no to that, now it's, you know, what level of distress do you have? Is it interfering with your social life? Is it interfering with your school, your job, or your ability to function? Are you avoiding things? And so you have to say yes to multiple layers of those in order to really be classified with true body dysmorphic disorder. And, you know, it, it was very interesting because I was looking at the study from Saudi Arabia because with regard to the Middle East, you know, that is a country that has the highest prevalence of social media use. So they're, they were looking into kind of the implications of that. And, you know, the the two leading preoccupations were skin and and hair. And I found that very interesting that that seemed to also, you know, be the case with with your history. Yeah. And it's so interesting. And, you know, while the name is what the name is, and we're never going to change it, I actually think that it's uh, what I found, you know, I'm very honest, and I'm very transparent. And, and while I have only spoken about it, for seven years publicly, I definitely have, have shared with my doctors and people much longer than that, because that's just me. I want to be honest. Anytime I've ever said I have body dysmorphic disorder, they'll be like, what don't you like about your body? And I'm like, it's not about my body. 
<laughs> so I will say that majority of people with body dysmorphic disorder, their concerns are from their neck up. That doesn't mean that their body cannot be an issue. And I know we're going to talk about it a little bit, the distinction between body dysmorphic disorder and eating disorder. But for most people, it's your neck up. It's often skin, hair. It could be certain features on your face. And so sometimes I wonder, I'm like, maybe that wasn't the right terminology because when I think people hear body, they think your physical body. And so they don't necessarily think you're focusing on your face. And so I think that that's um, an interesting thing that I know I continue to come across, like even in today's world, when I use the terminology, when I go to a doctor's office, they, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And they just assume it's related to an eating disorder. It's an eating or it's body. And I'm like, and you know, and to be honest, it's exhausting for me. I mean, I choose to speak about it, but I don't feel like I need to speak about it every single time I go to a doctor. I don't feel like I need to sit with a PowerPoint presentation. And like, so I feel like people need to understand what this disorder is. And unfortunately, the label throws people off a little bit that makes them think that it is related more to body size versus, you know, s- features such as your skin and, and your hair, which are more common in, in what is causing people's distress. So, so Robin, we are definitely, I think it's important that we distinguish between BDD and disordered eating. But before we do that, um, Andrea and I have actually, we're in the process, and I, I don't know if it'll maybe even be published before this pod airs, a post on Zoom dysmorphia. And I know we were chatting a little bit before before we recorded. So, you know, Zoom dysmorphia is this this term that describes basically over the over the last few years, you know, during the pandemic, we've all, well, most of us have switched to um, working from home, at least at one point, yes. um, right? Um, and <laughs> so we're all sitting in front of our cameras, we're on Zoom meetings, we know camera lenses can alter our appearance on, right, on video, resolution, distance from the camera can distort or enhance facial features. And so basically, it's, we become a we're looking at our own face. We're dissatisfied or unhappy with our appearance as a result of increased use of use of Zoom. Um, so that's this term, Zoom dysmorphia. Zoom dysmorphia is associated with an increase in mental health issues, including anxiety and depression. Um, there was a study that we'll link in our show notes that found that 71% of individuals are anxious. Um, well, I, you know, this was during peak pandemic, I guess. 71% of individuals were anxious to return to in-person work due to their appearance. 64% sought help for mental health issues. Anyway, and then there's also the issue of social media app filters. So how is this, how does this relate to BDD? How is it distinct? Can you help sort of differentiate between the two? Absolutely. So I think we would have to go further in the research to determine, okay, so does any of those people who have experienced that Zoom dysmorphia, the sense of of distortion, what they see when they're looking at their camera and their, their computer, like, does this is this actually related more to BDD or is this more of like a body image concern? And so, again, I think the biggest thing that we have to look at is the disruption in functioning. So is it just that when they're going on the screen, they're finding a lot of distress? Or do we start to see that the distress is coming and seeping into other aspects of their life? And then when you said that, like, and this is definitely a key component of things with BDD is like going back into the real world. Because I've had clients that when, you know, during the pandemic, it was like, we were treated, which is an often characteristic of somebody who's in the depths of BDD, like they want to avoid and stay away. But 
if somebody with Zoom dysmorphia, like it's just like they need a little push and once they get back out there, they're feeling okay, then it's probably not closely related to the disorder because the disorder is more um, is more entrenched and you feel it a lot more. And it's not just like that initial, like getting back into it and then you're okay. You usually find it a lot more difficult and it really affects you across the board in your level of functioning. So, so when we look at what I've seen with zoom dysmorphia is more specifically about, I don't like what I see on the screen and it it really is disturbing to me. And I don't, I don't want to look this way and I want to get other procedures and I want to look a certain way, or I like how I look in the filter. And that's something completely different too because I've heard people go to plastic surgeons and be like I want to look like this filter and the, the doctor's like that's not even possible so I think again we look at that level of disruption and functioning and I think some what I've seen with the just you know the zoom dysmorphia it's more related to how they see themselves through the screen it doesn't seem to permeate past that like key things with BDD is like I feel defective. I am different. I don't deserve to be functioning in this world. People won't love me. I can't get a job. I can't hold social relationships. I can't be a part of my family dynamic. Like, so I don't notice that with the Zoom dysmorphia. I notice it's like the, it's a much more acute situation. With that being said, it may surface other anxiety and depressive issues that somebody struggles with. And it could possibly show somebody that's on the lesser side of BDD who may have been undiagnosed. So I think those things have to come together to look at the picture. But one of the biggest things to determine is this just about how they see themselves through a lens or is it affecting all aspects of their life? And I think that's the biggest thing. And then is there a really hard, like, you know, is the person really having a hard time going back into the world to the point where like they can't even do it or the distress is so heightened that they're not habituating to it as soon as they get back out there. I think all of that is going to determine what you're really looking at. Is this an issue of just, I don't like what I see through the lens or is this affecting other aspects of their life and functioning? Yeah, that's, that's a great point, Robin. And and that actually leads us into, you know, maybe um, some of those key signs and symptoms. And so, you know, I think, it's very obvious that it's this, you know, frequent thoughts and and um, fixation on appearance. So, you know, they they classify it as at least an hour a day. Uh, I'm presuming it's it's much more frequent than that. Sometimes it would either be spending a lot of time staring into a mirror while fixating on that perceived flaw, but but in other cases it could be completely avoiding mirrors or reflective surfaces. Often an individual will be covering the disliked body area. So examples would be like if it was um, a body dysmorphic disorder related to hair, maybe using hats or, or things like that, um, hats or scarves or so on and so forth. Reassurance seeking, so asking individuals in your in your you know immediate circle if you look okay. Consultations with cosmetic uh, plastic surgeons, things like that, to ask about fixing this disliked body area. Um, some individuals do actually get um, repeated plastic surgery or, or dermatology treatments, and we'll talk a little bit about that, about why that that is not actually helpful in a little bit. Skin picking, including with fingernails or, or you know, implements like tweezers. Um, and as you mentioned, avoiding social situations, avoiding public places, avoiding work, avoiding leaving the the house even. So it can, you know, almost evolve into um, 
not an agoraphobia per se. No, but, but it can. But it could definitely exactly, have that. Exactly. Um, and then of course, not talking about it, right? You know, you're, you know, you you mentioned before we started recording that you have a lot of people, you know, hashtagging and posting and things like that. And, and those with true body dysmorphic disorder really don't don't tell anybody about these compulsions or these these feelings of shame that they have. And then of course it can present with other sorts of mental health issues or emotional problems. And you noted very high proportion of suicidal ideation among those who have BDD. Yeah, it's, it's it's again. I think it's what we tend to look at is the dis- the biggest thing is is the disruption in functioning, right? And and even just the sense of what your awareness is of it. And I think people, you know, with body image concerns, may not like things, but they're able to come back to seeing other positive attributes about themselves, and they're sort of able to say okay, maybe it's not as bad as I see where you often find with people with body dysmorphic disorder, their sense of awareness is like, no, this is what it is. It is, this is not a mental health issue. And what I see is what it is. And, and there's just, there's just no awareness of that. And their sense of, you know, of clarity of, of what they're looking at becomes so distorted. And I think, when I look at body dysmorphic disorder, there is so many components to OCD with the intrusive thoughts and compulsive behaviors. But you know, again, some of the really bigger differences is, is the associated trauma. And I think that's often why when people are going for treatment, they're not always getting better with the traditional CBT ERP model, which was even used with me because we don't go back into your story. We don't go back into your trauma history that needs to be unpacked and looked at. And you essentially will walk away not doing the compulsive behaviors, but then you'll come out of it and you'll still have that same thought process of I am defective. I am unworthy. And I am definitely one to speak on that because that was essentially what happened to me. I saw the top specialists in the field, people that are writing the books and that I'm sitting here now working side by side with. And, you know, cause I, I work within the IOCDF and I'm on a lot of their committees and it's just like, they missed a big piece of this. And, you know, with people with body dysmorphic disorder, it's not just a distortion in their appearance. It's it's how they make it makes them feel as a person or lack thereof. They just feel like they do not belong. They feel defective. They feel that what they see, it's not just like, I don't like what I look like. It's like, I don't deserve to be in this world this way. I shouldn't even walk out the door. I mean, for me, I actually was housebound for over a month, um, a year before I was diagnosed with it. And I couldn't leave my house. And I didn't even know how to, to speak about that because I think it was still at a time where people didn't understand the disorder. And so again, I think just understanding that while I always say the appearance part takes on what the, really the issues are. The issues are for somebody with body dysmorphic disorder is feeling different, feeling defective, feeling unworthy, feeling unlovable, feeling like they don't belong. They've attached it to an appearance concern because guess what? It seems more achievable and easier to change an appearance problem than it is to change those underlying core faulty beliefs. And so they have attached it to something that you know, feels more like I could change what my skin looks like. I can change my hair. I can change my nose. I can change my features. And then, and then wouldn't it be great if my life would change? Yeah. (laughs) And the, the thing is, is people with BDD, it doesn't work like that because unlike other people who can go and get plastic surgery or get cosmetic treatment, people with BDD, this is very important, are extremely unsatisfied when they get it done. They often have a lot of regret and shame, and then it makes it worse because then they feel like they've self-inflicted it upon themselves. So it's 
it's never a good idea to get anything done because your 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 goal is never going to be achieved because you have a distortion in what you see and you're often then left with I have this regret and I did this to myself. So then you're dealing with a whole nother thing that you have to process through. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I think we'll, we'll get to that in, in just a minute in more detail. But, you know, you, you kind of touched on one thing that maybe, maybe you can dissect a little bit more is often we'll see that individuals have multiple mental health issues. Like for me, for example, I have depression and anxiety. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, whether or not BDD presents with other mental health issues? And on top of that, you know, how do you really tease it apart because some of them are going to have similarities, right? Like, you know, I know that obsessive compulsive disorder often can co-present with BDD. So maybe you can dissect, dissect that a little bit for our listeners. Absolutely. And I think any skilled clinician should look at the whole person. And I've learned that as a clinician myself and being a patient and having clinicians not look at me. So I feel like it's important to know the whole story, regardless of the modality of the work. I'm not psychodynamic in nature, but I I need to know your childhood. I need to know the life that you come from. I need to understand you. And so for me, you know, if I'm going to use myself as an example, if I look at just kind of my history, I definitely had trauma as I was bullied. And that probably led to, you know, feelings of being depressed and anxious. But when I look really at what the ultimate picture was, I look at the development of body dysmorphic disorder. And when you think of body dysmorphic disorder, when you have body dysmorphic disorder, it leads you to feeling depressed. It leads you to feeling anxious because you're anxious about going into settings. You're anxious about like not living the life you want to live or going out into the world. It can make you feel like having social anxiety because interactions with other people are very difficult. It can also lead you to more agoraphobic feelings like not wanting to be out in the world because there's a lot of mind reading with people. So a lot of cognitive distortions. You're thinking people are talking about you. So being out in the world can be very difficult. And you know, it can co-occur with other disorders. So you can have people with body dysmorphic disorder that also have OCD and the OCD may not have anything to do with their concerns of appearance. So you could have people with OCD related to health concerns, related to uh, rumination about harm OCD, rumination with perfectionism that has nothing to do with appearance because there are a long Right now, BDD is an OCD spectrum disorder labeled in the DSM-5. You can have people that have co-occurring with an eating disorder. And the difference, obviously, is the focus on food, but there is this disruption in how you see your appearance. And, you know, you can also have co-occurring with major depression, bipolar. People can have... There is, and there's a great book by uh, Ari Winograd, you know, that talks a lot about personality disorders with within BDD. I, you know, my thought process is a little bit different. I don't necessarily think, I think sometimes it can look a certain way, but a lot of times it's the body dysmorphic disorder that's making one interpret somebody with a personality disorder. But also we have seen some co-occurring with narcissistic personality disorders, less likely, but more borderline. And so, you know, I think that, it's very important. The biggest thing that I'm going to say is that when you're going to a clinician or you're trying to understand yourself is that you want to make sure a person hears your story. And it's not just like looking at the diagnosis and taking you for what it is, regardless if you've been diagnosed by a prior clinician or psychiatrist, you want to come in and you want to make sure that the person gets to know your whole history because, you know, things can be interrelated. And I definitely put the pieces together and the puzzle pieces together for clients, but then things can be completely 
like I have, you know, medical trauma in my life. Well, that's not associated with my BDD. So, you know, you want to ensure that you're honoring each person, you're honoring what they've been through, and you're not just kind of clumping them in a diagnosis. Because again, the purpose of a diagnosis truly is to sort of get a, a, a blueprint of how to treat, but it's often really just for reimbursement from insurance. So you want to ensure that you're really getting to know the person that's right in front of you and really understanding the intricacies of their life. So Robin, you mentioned eating disorders, and I think this is a great time to sort of you know distinguish between BDD and disordered eating. I think often the two are conflated. Would you say, I mean, do all people who have disordered eating, do they all have BDD or not necessarily? Can can we talk through that a little bit? Absolutely. Not at all. <laughs> um, I would say probably people with, and I've discussed this with my clients, people with body dysmorphic disorder, they have, uh, you know, approximately like three concerns going at the same time and it can relate, like it could vacillate. And I always tell people that people with body dysmorphic disorder just need to be aware to not really focus on appearance, not really focus on anything with regards to their body in general, even if those aren't major concerns, because it, we could eventually hook onto it and obsess over it. So while disordered eating is more of the relationship with food, there is no, it's not a diagnosis yet, but I think most people in today's world, and it's very unfortunate, but with all the media pushing, like you guys talked about the, be- the beginning of the podcast, this notion of like new year's resolutions and people wanting to lose weight. I think there's this push of body size and what we need to focus in. And I think now they're talking about like heroin chic and people being really skinny. And I think it's pushing a lot of people to having these poor relationships with food. I also think there's a lot of diet culture out there or a lot of like even for health issues, like I have Hashimoto's disease and they talk about now my endocrinologist doesn't think that I need to change my diet, but then you'll have people talk about, you need to be gluten-free, you need to be dairy-free. And I think all of that leads people to having poor relationships with food. And I think that people, let's say with disordered eating, have a poor relationship with food. They may not love what they look like in terms of you know, the relationship with food and then ultimately how their body size is. But again, we're looking at the disruption and functioning. And usually a person with disordered eating, you don't see the same issues with BDD. You don't see that same extreme distortion in what they see. You don't see the same faulty core beliefs. You don't see it impacting all facets of their life. And so for somebody with disordered eating, we may want to just take a watch and look because we're probably more concerned in that situation that it would develop into a full-blown eating disorder versus that it would develop into body dysmorphic disorder. And when we look at an eating disorder, we're looking at there is a, a disruption and we do see a distortion in how you see your body. But with an eating disorder versus BDD, it is about restriction. It is about binging and purging. And it's about your body weight, your body size, the ingestion of food. And that in and of itself would not meet criteria for BDD. Where somebody can meet criteria for both is if the concern, which I have many clients, the concern is about, let's say they have anorexia, they have binging and purging, and then there are also concerns with their facial features. So it's a combination of both. So Robin, I, I know we're coming up on time here, but what if our listeners are tuned into this episode and they think, wow, you know, I think I need to, you know, some, this is resonating with me. Maybe they want to seek care for this. What are the treatment options for someone with BDD um, if diagnosed by a professional? Absolutely. So right now, the evidence-based practices are the similar to OCD, which is cognitive behavioral therapy using exposure response prevention. Then we use third wave behavioral therapies such as 
dialectical behavioral therapy for distress tolerance and emotion regulation, and ACT, which is acceptance commitment therapy, utilizing a value-based approach. Those are very effective. But in my professional and personal opinion, I also believe you need to do more in-depth psychotherapy because there is so much more dealing with faulty core beliefs and understanding kind of your development to understand why you have sort of developed this relationship that what you look like is who you are. So first and foremost, you ideally want to try to find a body dysmorphic disorder specialist. It's not always that easy. And a lot of people claim to treat it when they don't. So you really want to ask questions as to what treatment modality you're using. You definitely want to make sure they're using evidence-based approaches. A great resource is the International OCD Foundation. They have provider directories where they kind of lay out who specializes in BDD. If you can't find somebody that specializes directly in BDD, the next option is either to go to an OCD therapist who at least can understand it from the OCD side or going to even an eating disorder specialist that still kind of understands the body image concerns and can help you in that regard. And there's a lot of great information on the IOCDF webpage. I really, really push people to not Google, to not go on TikTok, to not go on these social media platforms to try to get the education, but to utilize like real publications and things such as the International OCD Foundation or even the Body Dysmorphic Disorder Foundation of the UK that provides so much evidence-based, factual-based, real information that's going to help you. And I'm going to say that even if you don't meet criteria, if you are disturbed with how you look and it's impacting you, it doesn't hurt to get support and to navigate this. Whether or not we know in the research, could body image become body dysmorphic disorder? Could disordered eating become an eating disorder? If you're disturbed with all these things, you deserve a platform to be able to process through it. And sometimes our friends and family are just not enough. And so even just having that kind of neutral person that you can like you know, discuss things with can be very helpful and useful. Honestly, Robin, I think that everybody in some capacity can can benefit from certain types of of cognitive behavioral therapy, other sorts of professional interventions. I do want to emphasize one other thing, and I know we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but but. Plastic surgery is definitely not recommended for someone with BDD. It is thought to actually exacerbate BDD, um, according to psychiatrist Monica Aguamendo, who who practices at Rush University. Um, you know, she says it reinforces it reinforces the person's flawed belief that there's something wrong with them. They become more obsessed, and this can lead to seeking out additional repetitive cosmetic surgery in order to continue to try to address the things they find fault with, when actually it has nothing to do with physical appearance as you've so, you know, comprehensively um, addressed. Yeah. And I mean, to use myself as an example, I never did anything extreme, but I did do laser to reduce redness on my chest. And that led a $200 treatment led me to spend $5,000 in intensive outpatient therapy for my BDD because I couldn't handle the redness that came along with the side effects of the machine. And I think I said this, I probably before we recorded that Oftentimes when you're getting procedures done because you're choosing it, there's a lot of shame and like, I did this to myself. So when I experienced this, there was a lot of like, if I didn't do this, this wouldn't have happened to me. And I made this decision. And so I think it's a few things. I think one, yes, you're reinforcing that the notion is an appearance related issue that needs to be corrected. But more times out of not, you're going to feel like I felt quote unquote botched, or you're going to, you're not going to be satisfied. Or the very small percentage that do then start to focus and hyper-focus 
focus on something else and still want to get procedures corrected. I think what we also need to realize, and we're still unfortunately in a money-making business with cosmetic procedures, is that you're not going to get a lot of people that are honest with you. And actually next week, I'm speaking to a plastic surgeon for a podcast. So it'd be very interesting to see where that develops. But I know from my own experience of just even walking into a dermatologist's office for like a skin check is that I will say I have body dysmorphic disorder and the next words will be like, well, we can do laser, we can do this. And it's like, you need to be understanding of like when you're going into places, like you need to understand if you have these disorders, you are not a candidate for this. You probably are not going to be able to handle the emotional response to the procedures, no matter how big or small they are. And unfortunately, you're not going to get that many people that are going to say to you, you know what? We're not going to do it. I did have a dermatologist in LA tell me I would never do Botox on you because the amount of phone calls that you would call me after complaining and this and that because your BDD is not worth one penny. And I really respected that. But unfortunately, we don't find that as much. And so people with BDD will find people to perform these procedures. And that is scary. And it's because it's a money-making business and they're not there to turn it away. But I'm going to say this. I hope to push and go into a place where people start to use the assessments to determine if someone has BDD and realize maybe they shouldn't because we don't know what could happen after. And we, we just want to be very careful. And again, the answer is never in changing your appearance. The answer is understanding that appearance is one aspect of who you are. But most people with BDD, when they're in the depths of their struggle, you will ask them and they will tell you that over 90% of who they are is what they appear to look like. And that needs to shift and change. So it is not, the issue here is an appearance. The issue is an emotional mental health issue that needs to be uncovered and needs to be worked through. Robin, this has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences, your expertise. In a sentence or two, is there anything else as we wrap this episode that you wish the public understood about BDD? Body dysmorphic disorder is not about vanity. Body dysmorphic disorder is about the depths and shame and the different the differences that people feel about themselves, that they don't belong in this world. And if people can just understand or walk a day in the shoes of people with BDD, they would get the distress, the pain, and the anguish that they deal with on a day-to-day basis. I want people to understand there's hope, there's help, and there's a life beyond this. And I definitely have employed this with myself and I employ it with all my clients, that you are not alone in your struggle, that there is help and hope, and that you are more than just your physical appearance. And in this appearance-focused world, you can find more value in other attributes with yourself. Robin, thank you so much. I found this so informative and interesting, and I know that this is really going to benefit you know, many of our listeners, either for themselves personally or for, for someone they know and love. So I, I couldn't thank you more for joining us today and talking about this really important topic. For our listeners, if you want more Unbiased Science, please check out our Substack subscription. We do post extended content there periodically, but the biggest perk is that you'll get access to our private Facebook group and our monthly live Q&A, so you'll have a direct line to myself and Jess. So you can check it out at theunbiasedsipod.substack.com. Next episode, we are going to be discussing another somewhat timely topic as we are still in the thick of the new year, um, and that's going to be intermittent fasting. We will continue to provide updates on COVID-19, RSV, influenza, and all sorts of other science-related topics on our social media accounts, so be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, 
Twitter and LinkedIn at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Woo!